This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Remember, all I'm offering is the truth, nothing more. Hello everyone, and welcome to the seventh installment of this Contemplating Conspiracy series. In the last episode, I ran through a list of CIA-backed coups and US military interventions that took place all over the world over the past 120 years. I showed how they stretch back to the time of the Indian Wars and continue today as the War on Terror. I asserted that these interventions constitute incontrovertible proof of a giant global conspiracy that seeks hegemonic dominance of the whole world. I further asserted that this conspiracy is wide out in the open, laid bare for all to see. I acknowledge that you might legitimately quibble over the whether conspiracy was truly the best term, and that we could engage in nuanced conversation over the nature of such a conspiracy. I do not assert that the same group of people have been consistently behind it, or even that anyone has a master plan. Irrespective of whether anyone intends it or not, however, a conspiracy to take over the world is what plays out. I concluded by commenting on humanity's amazing ability not to see this. We continue to believe in the virtues of organisations whose principal product is death and destruction. Governments can engage in no crime so great it causes the populace to question their legitimacy. We are of course quite capable of questioning the motives of other governments, preferably ones far to the east or south of Western Europe. We can clearly see that Stalin, Pot and Mao are amongst history's greatest monsters. We can even accept that sometimes, reluctantly, our own virtuous governments will form alliances with those less than wholesome others, but when they do, we consider they have lowered themselves for reasons of realpolitik, not that their true colours are shining through. We may even accept that foreign governments may employ deception, false flag terrorism, to guide their own citizens. Take the 1999 Russian apartment bombings, which killed 300 people and launched the Second Chechen War. It was entirely acceptable within Western discourse to suggest an inside job, that Putin did it. No less a figure than Senator John McCain publicly stated, there remain credible allegations that Russia's FSB had a hand in carrying out these attacks. Mr Putin ascended to the presidency in 2000 by pointing a finger at the Chechens for committing these crimes, launching a new military campaign in Chechnya, and riding a frenzy of public anger into office. Needless to say that two years later, when the 9-11 attacks happened, Senator McCain never expressed any misgivings about the US government's account of the event. He would never have suggested there were credible allegations that the CIA had a hand in carrying out the attacks by protecting the hijackers from arrest, or that Mr Bush pointed a finger at Iraq and rode a frenzy of public anger into war. 
it was only Russian authoritarianism that concerned him. He didn't hesitate to vote through the Orwellian Patriot Act. This reflects my experience of talking to people about false flag terror. I feel I can make a decent case for 9-11 being an inside job. I'm not suggesting it's a correct case, but I contend it is a decent one. When I talk about this and I'm met with expressions of utter incredulity, I sometimes mention that similar accusations are made regarding the Russian bombings. Well, I can believe the Russians would do something like that, is the invariable response. Why does this contrast in the way we might view the Russian and American governments exist? And is it justified? I would suggest it can be attributed to two factors. The first is evidence-based. We are generally aware of the crimes of the Soviet era, the Ukrainian famine, the gulags and violent repression of the Hungarian revolution. It wouldn't be unreasonable to assume some of the mentality behind these events lives on after the collapse of the Union. We are not so generally aware of the sheer extent of the United States crimes against humanity. As I demonstrated in the last episode, we should really consider Latin American countries to be satellite states of the US, in the same way Eastern European countries were Russian satellites. When this is taken into account, after the Stalinist period, and certainly after the 1950s, the USSR actually had a better human rights record than the USA. Brutal as the Eastern Bloc was, it did not match the brutality US-backed death squads brought to places like Chile, Ecuador and Nicaragua. The second reason is psychological. When evidence of the US government's crimes are so in your face as to be unavoidable, such as with the Vietnam or Iraq wars, good intent is always assumed. It is acceptable to believe politicians make errors of judgement, but a psychological and societal boundary exists that strongly prohibits the questioning of motive. To do so is to move outside of acceptable discourse. Admittedly, I do think this has shifted in recent years to some degree. The first of these hurdles can obviously be overcome through education. It's as simple as reading a few books by John Pilcher or Noam Chomsky. The second is a little more tricky. We are forced to recognise that understanding the world requires more than increasing our knowledge base. It requires an act of cult deprogramming. I would suggest that we are born into the cult of the state. In many ways it acts as a parental figure. Young children may spend more of their waking life at school than with their actual parents. It promises to take care of us when we are sick, to keep us safe from harm, and to look after us when we are down on our luck. Given all this, how could we not be under the spell of such a system? Imagine if Scientologists ran the schools. Would we expect most children to be able to resist their indoctrination? I once had the pleasure of interviewing Chris Johnson, who was a member of the Butterfield cult. Chris told me that he and his fellow members had no problem spotting other cults and recognising them for what they were, whilst remaining utterly oblivious to their own circumstances. We see the same thing with states. How cultish does North Korea look to our eyes with their devotion to the dear leader? Yet to see anything similar in our own state's rituals? I will remind you of the cultic chanting the Terminator led for George W. Bush. 
Can we then sympathise with Russians struggling to come to terms with the knowledge that Uncle Joe wasn't a kindly and benevolent ruler? Or the Germans who fell for Hitler's spell? Would we have done any better? We must then both recognise and seek to address our own indoctrination. And I hasten to add, I struggle with this as much as anyone. We must also recognise that this is what we are dealing with when we engage with other people. Throwing more and more facts is a useless strategy if our audience is fundamentally unable to receive them. This is surely the meaning of the red pill. It is symbolic of the aspects of our consciousness that allow us to question even the most basic aspects of our reality, to come to doubt the fundamentals, to break everything down and start again, to enact a paradigm shift in our perception. Absent this, we are not in a position to even evaluate conspiracy theories. Whether it's JFK, the moon landings, or 9-11, if we examine these issues from within a paradigm that does not allow for conspiratorial possibilities, we will inevitably interpret evidence accordingly. To take 9-11 as an example, it's a fact that the CIA's Bin Laden unit was aware of two of the eventual Flight 77 hijackers being inside the United States and blocked this information from reaching the FBI, and in doing so essentially allowed the attacks to proceed. What is the more likely or reasonable explanation for this? Well, that depends on which paradigm you occupy. If you see the CIA as primarily being concerned with the security of the American people, you may find the flip theory more reasonable where the agency was trying to infiltrate Al-Qaeda by flipping these two men. Then things went wrong. If, on the other hand, you see the CIA as a primary agency of the US empire, one whose objectives have little to do with the protection of the American people, and everything to do with asserting global hegemony, then you might think it more reasonable to conclude they protected the hijackers so 9-11 could proceed. I can't tell you which one of these two is correct, but I can tell you a healthy mind is capable of entertaining both possibilities. You will notice there are people around you who seem to entirely lack this ability. Years will roll into decades and their opinions never change. They are firmly blue-pilled. When any event arises in the world, you can predict what they'll be posting on Facebook with 100% accuracy. It's very unlikely, however, they will see themselves this way. They probably perceive themselves as constantly testing the boundaries of their reality and constantly receiving validation that they are in the right place. And so this brings me to the end, then. We need to approach political dialogue as an act of cult deprogramming for it to stand any chance of being productive. To get people to question their own assumptions and foundations we need to become drug dealers dishing out red pills. On that note then, I can end this series here, having said all that needs to be said on the topic. Wait, what's that? It's not quite that simple. The government mercilessly genocided over 12 billion birds and simultaneously replaced them with surveillance drones in disguise that film us every day as equally as these cameras are filming us right now. Yeah, everybody here can agree on absolutely one thing, which is it is not a globe. 
5G is a weapon. It's used by the military. This is supposed to be a man of God, but yet he's told the whole world that 26 people died in his church when he's no, he, nobody died. He's a liar. Let's go, Frank. Let's go polygraph right now. I've got a man in San Antonio. Comment you just made, knowing my 14-year-old daughter's laying You're a liar, Frank. Most truth channels still don't get it that JFK was never killed. In fact, there is compelling evidence that Jimmy Carter is JFK. I don't like them putting chemicals in the water that turn the friggin' frogs gay. I've presented a model where the red pill of conspiracy theory can shatter our sense of indoctrinated consensus reality and give us the freedom to start to see the world more as it actually is. However, that outcome is far from a foregone conclusion. When our reality shatters, what is to stop us from falling and falling until our feet land on the solid surface of the flat earth. The clips I've just played range from Alex Jones's hilarious gay frogs rant to David Icke's spurious Corona 5G connection. From the clearly satirical, I think, birds aren't real conspiracy, to the utterly disturbing crisis actor narrative. We now live in a world where families of murdered children are accused of being crisis actors paid by the CIA. It seems the red pill is a cure that can be worse than the disease. This is a difficult problem for anyone questioning the nature of their reality. Where do you draw the line? It's really not obvious to me. Let's take the moon landings as an example. Whatever else the Apollo missions represent, it would be naive not to see them as playing a role in Cold War propaganda. The USA demonstrated its technical superiority over the USSR, and by extension the superiority of a whole worldview of state capitalism. More darkly, they provided a distraction from the humanitarian crimes going on in Southeast Asia. Neil Armstrong took one small step for man just as the CIA's Phoenix program, a program of torture and assassination, was being exposed in court. A mere four months later, the Apollo 12 mission coincided with reporting on the My Lai massacre, just as Apollo 15 did with the release of the Pentagon Papers two years after that. You'd have to overdose on blue pills not to see this connection. I'm not suggesting specific landings were timed to coincide, but there was a general coincidence that the national security state would have been well aware of. Is it reasonable to go that one step further? Is it reasonable to ask the question, could they have been faked? After all, the incident that started the Vietnam War, the attack on an American ship in the Gulf of Tonkin, was fabricated and over a million people died as a consequence of it. What's faking a little moon landing compared to that? And isn't it weird that NASA mounted six successful missions in just over three years, and now haven't been back in 50? When should we start to question that? After the last man to have stepped foot there has died? There are currently four of them left. After a hundred years have passed, if we celebrate the centenary with interviews of extremely old ladies recounting how they listened to the landings on the wireless, will that start to look a little strange? 
On the other hand, it's certainly hard to see how a sufficient number of scientists, NASA and otherwise, wouldn't have clocked it if it really were impossible. So maybe they did go. My point is that given the context, the other lies we know the US government of the 1960s was telling, it's not crazy to ask. But here's the problem. If we go down that road, it becomes entirely reasonable to assume NASA didn't limit their fakery to just the moon landings. It's not likely they would fabricate one of the biggest events in human history, but then be fastidious about telling the truth everywhere else. If we entertain the possibility that the moon landings might have been faked, we are forced to confront similar doubts about the rest of the space program. Are there really probes hurtling through the solar system? Have we landed a rover on Mars? What about the space station? If we ask these questions, we are confronted with the possibility that the lies are so ubiquitous that perhaps even space itself comes into doubt. Maybe the stars are just a lighting show on a glass dome, suspended above the flat Earth. What I've attempted to do is take a series of rational steps to arrive at an absurd conclusion. I've done so not to make the case for the flat Earth, but to illustrate the extent of the problem we face. When you start to question the nature of your reality, it's really not clear where to stop. In the film The Matrix, Morpheus doesn't encounter this problem with Neo. After popping a single red pill, Neo realises he's trapped in an illusion and awakens to the desert of the real. However, there's really no reason why he should stop there. He might have concluded that the world he awakened to was just another illusion, another level of the Matrix. He might have thought Morpheus was just a more sophisticated version of Agent Smith, also trying to entrap him. Morpheus would then have had to start grinding up and sprinkling blue pills on his cornflakes to bring him back down. If the red pill is symbolic of our ability to question the nature of our reality, then the blue pill symbolises the opposite of that. It is our ability to limit that disintegration, to step back from the edge and rejoin some form of consensus vision. The capacity to apply the same kind of critical inquiry to our more outlandish thoughts as we do to our conventional ones. Beyond that, it is the capacity to fully paradigm shift back into a more conventional position from where we will be able to make that critical inquiry. Wherever someone is positioned on the conspiracy spectrum, there is always someone else more extreme. Some 9-11 truthers proclaim no plane hit the Pentagon, but think the idea that no planes hit the Twin Towers is mad. Others do hold that position, but think the notion that no one died on 9-11 is where the crazy line is crossed. Unless you are the person that exists at the most extreme end of that spectrum, the world champion of conspiracy theorists, if you will, then you must acknowledge there is a need for a blue pill, if only to calm down all the lunatics who are more extreme than you are. That the red pill can send a person spiralling into a psychosis is a serious problem. I would suggest it is one without an easy answer. It's far from clear that everyone can cope with questioning their reality. We are left to apply the same kind of cult deprogramming 
I have proposed is needed to engage with those firmly blue-pilled. We can assume being confrontational and dismissive won't work. Understanding people's concerns, validating that consensus reality is indeed flawed, and encouraging critical questioning will surely be better ways to go. Thank you for listening. I'll leave this here for now and pick it up again if anyone has any thought-provoking feedback. Next time, I'll take a look at the overlap between conspiracy theory and spirituality, that which is often termed conspirituality. <laughs>